Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with people who know Vegas. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Vegas. Las Vegas is the capital of the magic world. For magicians, it's the place you want to be. Whether it's David Copperfield, Penn and Teller, or Chris Angel, all the best end up in Vegas. But thanks to the pandemic, many of the theaters are closed. So what do they do? Well, in the case of Dana Daniels, you take your show to the fans. You'll meet Dana today. Your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, is here today as well. And in the second half hour, Vegas Never Sleeps once again presents Sports Rock and Tours. On today's show, you'll meet Dave Klein, the New York Giants beat writer for the Newark Star-Ledger from 1961 to 1995. Finally, we lost a great from the world of basketball, Boston Celtic player, coach, and broadcaster Tom Heinsohn. We'll have a tribute to him from Celtic legend Bob Cousy. But first, time for magic. Let's go to Vegas, baby. Let's go tonight. Let's go tonight. Let's go to Vegas. We'll stay up all night. Let's go to Vegas, baby. Let's get away. Who wants to live forever? I got a map of that joke, sir. Here's a setup. Punchline, you are here. Okay, that's... Just having fun. What's your name? What's that? Dante. That's a good guy's name. Dante. Say, my name's Dana. Not a good guy's name. Discovered that growing up. All the kids in school used to tease me. They always said Dana was a girl's name. And I'd go home and talk about my sister. I said, Chuck, I, uh... We're always looking for a real funny person to make us kind of giggle in some of this time and what seems like always higher stress and higher stress. Well, this is one of the very best. Dana Daniels, a comedy magician, and you really got to see him in action to really understand what he does, with his uh, sidekick, psychic parrot, Luigi. Dana, welcome. Tell us a little about Luigi. I, I mean, he's an Italian parent, I guess, and as an Italian-American, I think that's great. Yes, he's an Italian parrot from Mexico. So, he's <laughs> 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 They are Mexican, actually, they um, originate in Mexico, the particular kind of species I have. And uh, don't ask me why his name is Luigi. <laughs> I like Luigi. It's a great name. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I thought it was, always thought it was a cute name. I heard, I can't remember where I heard it. And uh, so I just said, uh, when I got the bird and I had the whole idea for the show, I said, I'm name of Luigi. Well, talk about the part he plays in it, because I think it's really unique. Well, uh, he's uh, a psychic parrot, and uh, I'm on stage uh, trying to prove this to the audience. And uh, the whole joke is that he pretty much sits there and doesn't do a whole lot, uh, although he is trained to do certain things. But it's pretty undetectable, you know, or it's, you know, just the things that he does do, uh, with, uh, gestures I make, and he'll turn around and stuff like that. And then so, But I'm trying to up there and prove he is psychic and all that with a lot of help. And, uh, and my character on stage is sort of thinking the audience is not clued in at all what I'm doing when they clearly are. 
With this pandemic, I I wish Luigi could tell us when it's going to officially end. It's got to be driving you crazy because it's hard, right? I mean, you want to be out there and entertaining people, and you can't come here, you can't come there. It's very frustrating. It's, it's, (laughs) to say the least, I mean, it's it's absolutely, you know, I'm used to performing almost every day of the week. Uh, You know, I'm working somewhere. I keep very busy working. And and then it just like last March, just you know, shut down completely. And, you know, and every economy we've had over the years, you know, some portion of the entertainment industry has suffered. But then you always could move to another portion of it. You know, it's like make uh, the showrooms are slow or, or uh, corporate work is slow. You go, okay, I'm going to go work cruise ships. Or I'm going to go work nightclubs. I'm going to work. You know, there's always a different market you can go to, but this was like everything just shut down. There was nowhere to go, you know. And for someone like me who performs so much, it's, it's you know, you, it just drives you crazy not to be on stage. It must be a little tough too, right? Because th- that's how you stay sharp and you're trying different things and you're yes. always trying to evolve. Yeah. yeah, and I managed to do some live appearances here and there. You know, I, I had... Uh, a club out in Erie P. I live in California. I had a, there was a new magic club that uh, opened in Erie PA um, last August. And they called me and they said, would you want to come out and be our, our opening week? You know? And, uh, and I just said, yes, <laughs> I, didn't <even> ask, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even ask what they paid. I didn't ask what I just like, I want to be in front of an audience. And they did everything very safely because they were allowed to open at 25%. So they're just, they're barely making anything. One um, of the things, too, is, uh, uh, again, you, you got to get out there and so forth. And word of mouth works great for you. People need to go, and we'll tell them how to go on to your website. But I was just looking at some of the people that have complimented you. And, you know, everybody has those things. I mean, we've got them on our website. You know, this person said this, this person said yeah. that. But as I was looking at yours, you had some of the people that are the really the most respected in the business. I mean, Steve Martin talking about your magic yeah. humor. Everything has great timing. That's got to be a great thing. What, what does it feel like from your end to hear somebody like that give you that kind of compliment? Oh, well, meeting Steve Martin was, I, it was just recent. It was a, a year, last year. Um, I was working a club out in Santa Barbara, and he lives out that way. He lives, uh, he lives in Cambria or something, not Cambria. I think it's somewhere near Santa Barbara. But anyways, he was there that day. They, they told me, they said, oh, Steve Martin's going to be here tonight. And I was like, oh, great. And then I walked out the parking lot and went, I was so excited to thought, oh, wow, he's going to get to see Mark, going to get to see me work. And then I was so nervous beforehand, you know, I started, and then I went out there and I just had a great show. And then afterwards he, uh, he came up and uh, just said, he said pretty much what he quoted there. You know, he you know he said, uh, and they just how much he enjoyed the show. And then he wrote me. A, he says, "I wrote a joke for you." He goes, <laughs> "I think it's funny, but my wife doesn't." <laughs> and I said, "I said if it's funny or not, I'm using it." Exactly. He wrote it. Was it and, funny? <laughs> uh, yes, it was, and I use it in my show now. That's and great. I really don't tell people which one it is, but yeah, there's a joke I do in a certain trick. It's uh, it's like one line. And it gets a good laugh. And it's written by Steve Martin. 
More with magician Dana Daniels in just a few moments. Time now for a visit with your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. Today's topic, stadium gambling, which allows a blackjack player to play with a large group of folks on machines. These games can be as social as you'd like them to be. For me, talking to the dealer, hearing stories, like the, that's all very interesting to me. And you don't really get that at these because you're 20 feet away from the dealer. There's one dealer dealing to 20 people, 40 people. There's not that kind of connection. But you do have the option to the person next to you, you're you are literally playing the same hand against the dealer. So if you've got a 10 and a 2, the person next to you has got a 10 and a 2 as well. So you're in it together, or you can just kind of play your own game, your own terminal. You can be anonymous. You can make stupid bets. That's really the part I like about it, is you can make stupid bets. If you get a pair of kings, you can split them. You know, you're not supposed to, but you can. You, you're kind of in your own world, or it can be as social as you'd like it to be. Thanks, Scott. Visit VitalVegas.com every day and follow Scott on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just a reminder, please visit Vegas Never Sleeps and our great new show, Sports Rock and Tours, online. For the best in Vegas, it's VegasNeverSleeps.com. For the best in sports interviews, visit SportsRacks, that's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-A-C-X.com. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manji. I'm John Katsalamidis of the Las Vegas Review Journal on page 3A every day and online all the time. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Hi, this is Dr. Annette of The Dr. Annette Show. We've been talking today about COVID-19 and steps you can take to possibly prevent or mitigate infection. Silver and zinc have been used for centuries as disinfectants and as antimicrobials. We're offering you this special discount to make it easier and more affordable to get these essential silver and zinc liquid mineral supplements. Visit our website at www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Once again, that's www.elementalresearchinc.com and use promo code VEGAS20 to get 20% off silver and zinc products. Professional line not included. We are all in this together and we can get through this. Learn more at elementalresearchinc.com and use the promo code VEGAS20. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. To reemerge stronger and safer than ever, ask yourself these crucial questions. Should all restaurants, retailers, and venues have new safety and sanitation procedures in place? As a business owner, how can you assure your valued guests that proper protocols are being followed? How can you give your guests confidence knowing that you've prioritized their health and safety? Introducing VirusSafe Pro, a revolutionary mobile technology software that provides checklists, reminders, and confirmations to help your team perform health and safety measures right on schedule. It allows you to close the information gap in the workplace by giving your employees a dedicated source of credible instructions in a timely manner, right from their mobile devices. Validate compliance with health and wellness standards, provide regular safety and health messaging, and confirm that approved protocols have been performed all in real time and an easy to read dashboard. 
Tracking and verifying health and safety procedures in your business has never been more important. To learn more about how VirusSafe Pro can help you reopen, visit VirusSafePro.com. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Dana Daniels, who's been recognized by his peers as one of the best comedian magicians working today. The other comment that was really uh, striking to me, Jason Alexander, who everybody loves, they know him from Seinfeld, but he's been on Broadway, big star. And what he said about you was interesting in in that you're the most consistently funny comedy magician he's ever seen. And I think that word consistency is important because you want to have that reputation, don't you, where people maybe haven't seen you in a couple of years. They see you. It's different and it's good. Yeah, I'm I'm always trying to add to the show, but, you know, it's an act, so there's a lot of stuff I've had for years, but a lot of even those routines that I've been doing for years have uh, changed and matured with the times, and and then also there's just a certain timing and rhythm to everything, and I get a lot of people like to come back and see the show. It's like, they, you know, I've had people say, it's like going back and listening to a song you like, you know, you know, you listen to the same song over again, they just kind of like, yeah, watching the show, and they love bringing people who have never seen the show before to come and see it, so they can watch them enjoy it and laugh. Yeah, Jason was very kind in saying that uh, he's a, a member of the Magic Castle. He loves magic, and uh, he has uh, hired me to do some shows uh, for stuff he's done. Uh, I did a really fun one with uh, him, and we did and Ray Romano. The three of us did a, a show together. Some function of, of with Jason put together. So that was a fun oh, to work yeah. with those guys. You know, it was just like I was working with these huge stars of these TV shows from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and, and me. <laughs> so, so. You've opened, I see, for singers like Amy Grant, Vince Gill, yeah. Randy Travis. And I, I got to think... It must be tough in one sense because people go to those shows and they're they're ready for music, right? So all of a sudden they see there's an opening act. On the one hand, it's probably good for the singer that you're opening for because, oh, it's not another singer that's going to kind of wear them out. But it kind of puts a little um, little pressure on you. you got to hit it right away, I would imagine, or you could really lose those people. Yeah, it all depends on the act. You know, it's like the audiences for Amy Grant and Vince Gill and all that are, they are just really great supportive audiences, you know, and so I've always had a great time. You know, I remember years ago I opened for, uh, I don't even know who it was. It was, I don't think it was a name band, but it was like a rock and roll band, something like that. And that audience did not want to see anybody come out and try (laughs) And, and it was negative from the get-go. I couldn't, you know, it's like they just wanted the music, wow. you know, the rock and roll and, and yeah. uh, the hard rock, whatever. And and that's fine. You know, I kind of detected that when I got there. I, <laughs> I go, they don't want to see a magician. <laughs> like, They're going to eat me alive. It's like, and I just, you just, whatever. I got my paycheck. I left. So, I got, you know, but it was, but no, a lot of the other, most of the opening acts I've done, either they were, a concert or they were at a private event, you know, so. Well, I know you um, do a lot of corporate gigs uh, and those are fun, right? Because people come, they, they're in a good mood and, it, you know, it's yeah. like anything else. It's just people don't think of that way because they can't get in there, but unless they're working for that particular company or have some connection to it. Yeah, well, I, I love doing those because, uh, first of all, the audience, they all kind of know each other 
And then especially when you get the boss up on stage. And, and so that just lends a whole new dynamic to it. And yeah, I love doing corporate events and, and I go over really well at them. So it was, that's always makes a lot more fun for me too. So. Well, let's tell people how they can follow you because there's a couple of things I want to talk with you about before you go. One is this live comedy magic Zoom show. I love this idea, and I, I think it's kind of interesting. I know you've had good luck with doing these type of things from the corporate standpoint. How does it work, and, and are you hoping to do more as uh, the year progresses and we get into uh, 2021? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a whole new medium, so we're uh, figuring out how to market it. I kind of resisted it at first. Um, I just didn't think it'd, it'd be marketable, or I didn't think it would last long, you know. And I was proven wrong. I saw it grow, and so I thought, "Oh, I'm gonna jump on this gravy train." So I built a studio. So it was like I had to learn to do that, you know, <laughs> learn <laughs> all the different yeah. things. Like I don't want to be just in front of my computer in my office, you know, doing magic tricks. That's not what it is. I wanted to build a studio, so lighting and you know sets and. and uh, so it all, you know, sound and and then how to put it through the you know, like Zoom and the other media things they have. So it's um, well, you say it's highly yeah. interactive too. How do you do that? Yeah, then I had to adapt the show to work that way. Uh, so you just rewrite the jokes, and then also I like I have a thing called the virtual volunteer uh, because I thought, how like going to do this routine there's no way i can do this routine i don't want to take it out there's no way i could just do it looking at someone on, on the screen and showing them i said i i need to have them come up on stage or either the person and have them read this and so no one else can read it because it has to have that surprise right so um so i came up i uh, i built them well, i've got a mannequin and i put a i took the head off and i put a ipad on there for the head supposed to be and so then I asked volunteers to call in on the, uh, they have like an iPhone with uh, FaceTime, to call in there, and the first one that gets up there, so their head appears on top of the mannequin. That's and great. Then, <laughs> and when, because the iPad has a camera too, so they can, I can hold up something and they can see it, and the rest of the audience can. So when they read off something, it has the impact for the audience, because they're not all reading at the same time. It, it doesn't have that, so. So, and it gets a big laugh. I mean, and the company, they love it. You know, they, especially when there's somebody they know, their face pops up there. They just think it's hilarious. I think yeah, it sounds so. like a lot of fun. I, I can't wait for you to do another one. We're going to keep an eye on your Facebook and on your website. But also, in the meantime, too, you can go on YouTube and see a little bit on there. It's very funny. Or you can, I know you're still selling a, a DVD, right? It's a bird, as I recall. Right. It's, uh, I teach how to do some magic on there. And then there's also some clips of the show as well on there. And, uh, from, uh, different places I've worked, the Magic Castle. And then also I'm a regular, uh, performer at, uh, Warren and Annabelle's in Maui. <laughs> but I'm not a regular performer anywhere right now. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's closed. Uh, but when they reopen, hopefully I'll be back there. But, uh, yeah, I've been doing, uh, Warren and Annabelle's in Maui for, 18 years. Wow. So. Well, we're excited. We, I, I want to introduce people to you. Check them out on YouTube. Yeah, Dana Daniels. You. Yeah. And let's yeah, tell you go them. go my website. Let's, let's give us all that. Let's do okay. it again. Sorry. DanaDaniels.com. And what about Facebook? How do we follow you there? Uh, Dana Daniels fan page. Well, Dana yeah. Daniels, thank you so much. We're going to check you out and uh, we oh, will hope to have you on again. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you, Stephen. 
when you visit Las Vegas, you're always looking for fun things to do. And I think one thing you got to put on your list is the Neon Museum. It's fantastic. What a way to learn the history of Las Vegas, but by the signs that go back all the way to the 1930s. It's a lot of fun. The staff there is incredible. Really unique Las Vegas experience. So you can learn the history and have a blast. Go to neonmuseum.org. That's neonmuseum.org. Coming up. Vegas Never Sleeps presents Sports Rock and Tours. Today's conversation features Dave Klein, who was the New York Giants beat writer for the Newark Star-Ledger from 1961 to 1995. We're really excited about Sports Rock and Tours. Beginning in December, we will add an additional hour, and we got a great new website. Go to sportsracx.com on the web. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. In the meantime, a reminder, Vegas never sleeps. Oh, Vegas, here we go! They were there when history was made. Rackham Tour is a storyteller. Welcome to the Sports Rackham Tour. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James at the buzzer! The Sports Rackham Tours dusts off the great American art of storytelling. From the players, coaches, media, the people who were there. Smith corks one in the right, down the line, it may go! Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! It's a home run! Go crazy! Now, here's Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Sports and Tours, a show that presents the observations, recollections, and memories of a select group of storytellers who represent the past half-century or so of American sports. Imagine being one of only three sports writers to have covered all Super Bowls up to last year. Needless to say, Dave knows football. When you think of pro football and the great history, one of the cities is New York, of course, and one of the teams, the New York Giants. They've had a fantastic history, and we've got somebody who's covered a lot of those years. His name is Dave Klein. Dave, you've seen all sorts of history pass there in, uh, with the Giants franchise, good and bad both. Yeah, and lately, I think, unfortunately, I remember more of the old years than the current ones. Well, let's talk a little about, first of all, growing up back east. Were you a Giants fan before uh, before you got this job? I guess I was. The Jets weren't in existence yet. I don't even believe the Cowboys were. So, uh, yes, I was a Giants fan, and uh, that's the football team I followed. Well, when you were growing up then, the Giants were great. I mean, I'm thinking of the, in those 1950s years, uh, they had great coaches. I mean, my God, assistant coaches like Tom Landry and Vince Lombardi. It doesn't get much better than that. No, it couldn't. You, when you start, now, when did you start covering the team? Was it 1961, is that right? 61, yes. Just, Allie Sherman was the new coach. Right. So it was just getting away from those glory years. They still had some some strong years ahead. Could could you start to see that they were they were getting a little old together as a group? Well, in 61, 62 and 63 they played in the championship game under Ali Sherman. They lost them all, one to Chicago, two to Green Bay, 
But getting there was pretty much a great accomplishment since Sherman was a rookie coach and his staff was made up mostly of rookie coaches. But you could see the age factor started to play into it. I mean, you can't stay a great athlete forever. If you could, Jimmy Brown would still be playing. Well, that was an interesting era because you had like guys like Frank Gifford, Sam Huff. I mean, it was a, it, there was a glamour players at that time with the Giants. Sure, and they were still there when I started. I mean, some of my best friends turned out to be Gifford and Alex Webster and Kyle Rhodes and Jack Stroud and all of those people. And I just, I thought of them as just guys because uh, I had played football a little bit in college. So they were just football players who were better than I was. Well, you're talking about championship teams and getting beat twice by the Packers. Was that particularly important to Lombardi? Because I, I know he wanted to be the, the head coach of the Giants. Well, the story behind that was Green Bay contacted Wellington Mara in 1959 to ask permission to interview Lombardi as the head coach of the Packers. And Mara said he would make it conditional because the Giants coach then, Jim Lee Howell, had indicated he wanted to retire after the 1960 season. And would the Packers allow Lombardi to come back to the Giants for the 1960 season, 61 season? Mm-hmm. And they said yes. So then Wellington gave his permission. Vince went to the Packers. And sure enough, after the 60 season, Jim Lee Howell announced his retirement. So Wellington called the Packers, and the president was Dominic Oligiak, I think, and said, okay, it's time to go back on our agreement. And the Packer guy said, no, I'm keeping him. And they had to convince Lombardi of it, but I guess by that time he knew that he had a lot of uh, a real good future ahead in Green Bay. Oh, yeah, he had a young Bart Starr. He had a young Paul Hornung. He had a great offensive line. He wasn't going anywhere. Boy, talk about putting pressure on Allie Sherman then, right? I mean, so it could have been Lombardi, it could have been Tom Landry, but instead it's his it's his take. Allie and Vince Lombardi never really got along. They worked on the same staff together for a couple of years with the Giants. And I remember going into the Packers locker room right before the 61 championship game. We all had a audience with the Pope. I, being an unaware young reporter, I said, Coach, can you tell us your game plan? And he he laughed sort of, and he said, "You tell Sherman that whatever he wants to do, we'll do it better, and we'll beat them." And I told Allie that, and he just had a kind of a hangdog look on his face because I think he knew what was coming, and the final <laughs> score was 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 uh, thirty-seven to nothing. So yeah. he certainly did beat him. Was Lombardi was he? Not vindictive is the wrong word, but was that important to him? Because I think he wanted that Giants job originally. Oh, he did. He wanted the Giants job. He was from New York. He lived in New Jersey. He grew up with all those people. He and Tom Landry were assistant coaches there with Sherman. And oddly, they all became head coaches. But Vinny was very disappointed. He wanted to be a head coach. And when Wellington told him the deal he had made, or thought he had made, he agreed to go to Green Bay. I mean, nobody wants to go to Green Bay, I don't think. 
Well, it had to be tough. You grow up in New York and you get off that plane. <laughs> it's cold. Yeah, well, you know, my theory is that there is no Green Bay. It's a stage prop. They uh, put it up for the football season. Yeah, especially then. I mean, now it's kind of quaint and everybody loves the idea of uh, having a team in Green Bay. But at that time, they, they, they had a hell of a history, but they were pretty bad when he joined them, too. Yes, they were. And he turned that around real quick because nobody could afford to argue with him. He <laughs> said, we're going to win, and so they won. Well, in fairness to Sherman, though, like you said, it's really uh, true. He was a good coach. I mean, he, he was known as an innovative offensive coach. Sherman was a great offensive coach. Uh, one of his problems, which I confronted him with once, and he kind of agreed. I said, you know, Coach, you're telling these guys what to do but they're not as smart as you, and they don't quite understand it, and you don't know how to talk down to their level. So he tried to simplify things after that. I mean, it wasn't just because of what I said, but perhaps it made a point with him. And then after that, the team just began, just began to disintegrate. They traded Sam Huff. Uh, guys retired. It just fell apart, as it will with most teams. Frank Gifford uh, was a really, you know, we mentioned him before, though. You know, he went to the college I did, USC, and he was known even when I went there as, like, perfect, you know, good-looking Hollywood star type, and he kind of rode that all the way through his NFL career, didn't he? Yeah, and he got ripped by a lot of the players, especially Sam Huff. They really didn't get along. He called him Joe Hollywood. Really? And, uh, yeah, they didn't like each other, and... It was Huff who didn't like Frank because he was, as you just said, too perfect. And one day after a practice, the defense, which also thought it was the best defense that was ever created, started to hit Gifford, tackle Gifford, and you're not supposed to do that in practice. So they came back into the locker room, and for once, Frank showed a little temper. He pinned Huff up against the wall. And he said, I'm tired of your nonsense. You're not supposed to hit guys on the offense when we practice. And don't ever do it again. And it seemed to work. We'll be back with New York Giants beat writer Dave Klein, who just released his latest book, Memories and Reflections of 60 Years of Covering the New York Giants, in just a moment. We're excited. In December, we're going to add an additional hour of Sports Rock and Tours, and we have a new website that you can visit today. Go to sportsracx.com on the web, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. You're listening to Sports Rock and Tours with Stephen Manchin. Wide open. Newton! Inside the 40! Inside the 20! And then... All the way to the six as Wayne's tried to strip it away. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. 
perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com. Welcome back to Sports Rockin' Tours. You are listening to Dave Klein, the New York Giants beat writer for the Newark Star-Ledger, and author of the just-released Memories and Reflections of 60 Years of Covering the New York Giants. He was a tough player, and you know he lost a year from that hit from Chuck Bednarik, but at least what I saw, I never heard him complain about it. No, he never did. He was more classy than that, and he was a good guy. You know, somebody once said to me, we were at some gathering, and Gifford walked over and said, Hello. And walked away, and the guy I was talking to said, don't get too excited about that. He's just practicing to say it to somebody more important. But <laughs> it didn't work out that way. Frank really was a good guy. In fact, I'm, a, I'm involved with a, a, an organization called the Valerie Fund, which helps children with cancer and has for some 30 years or so. And one year we invited Frank to be the roast of honor, and I had this brilliant idea about inviting Bednarik to be one of his roasters. And as soon as Bednarik got up to the podium, all the lights went out in this gigantic ballroom. And they stayed out for a minute or so, and then they came back on, and Bednarik turned to Gifford. He said, Frank, was that familiar? But he had really knocked him unconscious. Did you know Frank after, like, when he did the Monday Night Football thing? I, I always thought he got kind of a bad rap on that because uh, Cosell was particularly hard on him. And in reality, you kind of needed a guy like Frank to sit between uh, Cosell and Meredith. Yeah, I, I continued to know Frank even after he stopped playing, and we always chatted and said hi. And remember once I went out to dinner with him and Kathy Lee and he was a really good guy, and I just, I miss him. I miss a lot of those guys because, in fact, I grew up with them. Football's kind of a part of your life, you know, right? I mean, I, I kind of feel that way, like with the old Raiders, and I, whenever you see guys like Cliff Branch passing away, I, I felt really bad because I was thinking of all the time, you know. Yeah. I covered him for a little while, but even just watching him as a fan, uh, it becomes a part of your life. Oh, yeah, I live right near Phil Villa Piano. Great guy. I love yeah, him. <laughs> he's a Jersey guy, and he played, as you know, he played brilliantly for the Raiders. And he said, we all played thinking that one day we were going to go play for New York. Oh, really? <laughs> That's yeah. the ultimate. Yeah, wow. So, Well, it is for Giant fans. You know, we talk about Giant fans and Jet fans. Did the Giants kind of run New York, though? I mean, they certainly did in the early days, although the Jets uh, were the first ones in the modern Super Bowl era to really hit the big time. Well, the Jets won Super Bowl three, and that was probably a terrible day for Giant fans. Uh, but they haven't won anything since. So I suspect, and I don't know this, and I don't mean anything bad by it, but I still think the Giants are number one in, in, in the New York area. 
And it's a great rivalry, I guess, the same way that like the uh, the Raiders and the 49ers were when they were both uh, close to each other, and the Rams and the Raiders in the in the L.A. days. So, I, sure. You know, you watched them when you were those early seasons. We're talking about they were playing at Yankee Stadium. What was it like watching a game at Yankee Stadium? Well, I had also covered Yankee games in Yankee Stadium. It just it felt a little odd, like we were misplaced. In fact, there was a period of time when the Giants played home games at the Yale Bowl, at Shea Stadium, at Yankee Stadium, and I remarked to somebody that. I had to cross three state lines to go to a home game. And that had to be hard. So I guess when, when Giant Stadium was built, that was really important. Yeah. They refused to call themselves the New Jersey Giants, however. And the excuse was their corporate papers still said New York, and it was a legal situation. And even today, the announcers on TV, when they're showing a Giants or a Jets game, they'll say, welcome to New York. And the stadium is in East Rutherford, New Jersey, fellas. Does that bother people that live in Jersey, Dave? It does. I think it does. Um, They've been conditioned, however, to accept the fact that it's never going to change. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit offensive. We go to the mid-60s, and both the Yankee baseball team and the Giants are starting to have rough times, and they're yelling goodbye, Alley, in the crowds. Uh, was that quite a change? Because up until that point, the, like you say, the franchise had been successful for a long time. Oh, it was a terrible change. That's why the fans got upset and started chanting goodbye, Alley. And when they finally did have to get rid of Alley, which was 69, uh, Wellington hired Alex Webster, who knew very little about football, was not qualified to be a coach, and I say that even though he became one of my best friends. But... I asked why one day, and he said, because the people love him. They wouldn't dare boo him or chant like they did with Allie. And uh, Alex learned a little bit, but he didn't last too long. You know, in the lean years, Ray Perkins, I remember that whole thing, and John McVeigh. Uh, it's been interesting. McVeigh, certainly, uh, you've watched that family kind of develop. Huh? And we'll talk about a football family. Yeah, don't forget um, Bill Arnsparger. Oh, that's right. Exactly. Thank you for reminding me. So you went through a lot there. and Oh, and another big thing that happened in New York, and I remember that as a kid, was Fran Tarkenton coming to New York. Yeah. What was that like? Because it was a big deal. And um, did the team give up too much, you think, in retrospect for him? I don't think so, because it got them some notoriety. As an aside, Webster was a coach, and he really didn't like Fran. He had voted against the trade, and, of course, he was outvoted. And one day, Fran had a bad ankle and couldn't play, but he had a consecutive game streak that would have tied a league record. And that day, he couldn't play, and he didn't play. But somebody asked Webster, why didn't you just put him in as a holder for an extra point? That would have qualified him as being in the game. And he said, I didn't want to. I don't like him. Wow. So, you know, there's a lot of background to all of these people. Was Fran just out of place there? Because obviously he goes back there and wins, and uh, that trade brought a few big names to Minnesota, Ron Yeri and Ed White and so forth. Fran was a quality quarterback who didn't quite put it all together. He went to the Super Bowl once. He was a good guy. He instantly became a fan favorite. But there was just 
something missing, you know, no no fire. I think of him maybe as more of a Bud Grant guy, you know, where he just kind of, they, they worked around that, and you always could picture him scrambling around and so forth. But he's one of those quarterbacks that may just not work on every team. Yeah, when, uh, when they traded him, uh, do you remember Green Bay uh, a defensive lineman named uh, Henry Jordan? Yeah. I was interviewing once, interviewing him once about an upcoming game, and he said, by the way, tell the Giants thank you for making the trade and getting Tarkenton. He says, I had to chase that little so-and-so around for two years, and it saved my career. You know, Tarkenton, you think about nowadays, you'd never want your quarterback running around. And I guess that's kind of uh, descriptive of what's happened to the sport, right? I mean, you could take a beating like that. It was different. You sure as hell wouldn't see that anymore. No, except for like the guy in Baltimore. He, he runs for a living. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Russell, uh, uh, Russell Wilson isn't afraid to run. But you're right. Basically, they stay where they're supposed to be, and that's why there's such a premium on offensive linemen. Thanks, Dave. We lost a basketball legend this week. Boston Celtic player, then coach Tommy Heinsohn, passed away after a long illness. Boston Celtic legend Bob Cousy is here, and he talks about Tommy Heinsohn. Well, I, I think Tommy literally was the Celtics. I think in terms of the, the great Celtics of the past, especially in the 50s and 60s, that developed really the most outstanding dynasty of its time, 11 championships in 13 years. He was a, a Hall of Famer who had nine outstanding years, I think six years as an all-star. He coached them for nine years, won, I believe it was two championships, maybe three. Thanks, Bob. By the way, Bob will sit down with us in January for an extended conversation about his life. Now, Cousy seldom, if ever, talks to the press anymore, so you don't want to miss that. Don't forget to visit sportsracks.com. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-A-C-X home of our podcast, blog, and lots of new stuff. And please follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at Epsilon XR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com.